How often do you put the time in to reflect honestly on the learning following the closure of a deal, whether you won or whether you lost? Do you just pause for a moment to celebrate the victory or commiserate the loss? Or do you go deeper than that in pursuit of feedback that can be fed forward into future pitches? Creating a learning culture in an account management team is hugely beneficial and requires all of us to embrace feedback, even the painful stuff. The sort of feedback that tells us specifically what went well so that we can repeat it and replicate it and how things could have been better so that we can tweak and develop our approach to maximise chances on the next attempt. It'll always feel better to focus on the wins and brush away the losses And at the same time, we run the risk of blindly ignoring the rich layers of feedback and learning that are available if we intentionally go looking for it. Well, today's guest on Camcast is Vince Tickell, multi-business owner, executive coach and chair of a CEO peer learning group with Vistage UK. Having started a career in the marketing departments of multinational food companies, he set up his first company, marketing consultancy Interface, aged 24, working for branded companies such as Unilever, Bacardi Martini, Bass and P&G. In the late 90s, he diversified, setting up a chain of sales and marketing service companies in the UK and Europe, building it into a £15 million turnover group with over 100 staff. I was keen to hear his personal experiences in how he implemented a learning culture in his business where feedback was king and the teams lived by the mantra, when you lose, don't lose the learning. Welcome to Camcast. I'm your host, David Ventura, a key account management consultant at camguru.com. In this podcast, we explore the strategies, systems, and skills you need for effective key account management. We talk to expert guests and business leaders, sharing the tips, tactics, and techniques for looking after your most important customers. This is Key Account Management Made Easy. So delighted to be joined by Vince today here to share uh, some of his experiences, both in business and, of course, I guess, working with dozens of chief executives over the years as a peer group chair. Vince, welcome to Camcast. Maybe you could start by just telling us a bit about you and your background. Yeah, sure. Hi, David. So my background really is in marketing. My first jobs were actually working for very large multinationals, mainly in the food industry, spending lots of money on adverts and TV campaigns and things like that, which was fantastic experience for me. At the age of 25, I thought, actually, I could do this myself and service other clients. So I set up a marketing business. And over the course of the next 15, 20 years, I built that into a group of marketing businesses, both in the UK and actually in in Europe. And then a bit later on in life, I got a bit bored sold some of the businesses that I had, reinvested some of that money into some new ventures. And as part of that journey, I was involved in a peer group learning organisation, which I'm still in as a chair called Vistage. And uh, I was a member of a group where we meet 12 CEOs come together to share opportunities, problems, and have great speakers like yourself. And I then took over running that group. So over the past, I guess, eight years, I've been coaching and mentoring MDs and CEOs as part of that group process. So as I say to those people in the group, I have a day job as well, being CEO of two other companies, but I've got a great team around me who uh, I'm very fortunate 
that uh, gives me time to actually do um, the coaching and mentoring that I do today. And I guess the nice thing about this sort of breadth of your experience and the different parts of your your work and your career is that learning is very much at the heart of uh, what you do, what you create and how you and your team grows. A learning culture is what we're talking about today. And from my point of view, I guess when we're looking at sales and account management, there's loss at every turn. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not going to win everything. That's the nature of the beast. When we lose, we really don't want to lose the learning. So I guess if we're trying to create a learning culture within sales and account teams and, and a sales organization, give us your thoughts on, I suppose, the good, the bad, the ugly, and your experiences of where that's worked and, and perhaps where it hasn't worked. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, I think it starts at the top. If the person that's at the top of the organization is always curious about what they don't know, mm. then I think that inevitably cascades down through the business. And so I was, you know, age of 15, 16, I was reading books on sales, Del Carnegie and things like that. So I was yeah. always an avid student of what I didn't know. And if I'm interviewing people in whichever business that I may be in, uh, so if I was in marketing, I, one of the questions I'd ask them, tell me about the last marketing book you read and what you learned from it. So mm. part of the learning culture is bringing people in who are what Sir Clive Woodward described as uh, sponges, not stones. Yeah. So you want people who are always out there and always curious about things that they don't actually fully understand or they're, mm. they're learning. So in the early days of the work that I did, I was driving right across London. So I would be spending an hour and a half in the car to my office and an hour and a half back. So three hours. And I would have talking books yeah. uh, when we had the old cassette tapes, if you remember. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I still got at home boxes of the great and good people speaking while I was driving a car. So I was using that travel time to learn. And then I would often give those out to people. So when I saw somebody who had a particular issue that they're working on, I would often give them a book or give them a DVD or something that, that, that may spark something in them where they could actually do it. So I think it, I think it comes from the top. I think it comes from recruiting people in who are great raw material as well. Mm. So, and I think particularly in sales, many people don't actually know how to go about recruiting good people. Yeah. Uh, which I think is a whole topic in itself. But I, you know, my, often when I speak to MDs and CEOs when they are recruiting, when I say, how much training have you had in recruitment? Probably at least 95 out of 100 will say none whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's such mm -hmm. a key skill. So I think recruiting in, people who've got that ability and that, that predisposition to be curious about what they don't know. And, and and so and so often the answer, of course, to that question is, you know, well, I'm okay. I'm a good judge of character, um, and they rely a little bit on that in the recruitment process. Of course, the difficulty of judging character in an interview, particularly within sales, is a good salesperson should be able to sell themselves. <laughs> and well, I think, I mean, it. Uh, I think, look, if you're, I mean, one of my businesses, we, we recruit a lot of graduates in who've got absolutely no experience whatsoever, apart from life experience. Mm. So, but often we can pick the raw ingredients of what makes somebody who would be like a great salesperson. Then you can start bringing in some of the, the um, learning into their world of what will, will make a very successful salesperson. I think one of the key bits for me is being always curious, looking for criticism about how you can do something better. Mm. Sometimes we'll do 
monthly or quarterly or yearly plans for the sales teams and and sometimes I'll go along and they'll present their plans their plans not our plans to us mm. and they'll get feedback from their 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 peer group and 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 from the management team as well as to what they're doing and in one of those I remember we were doing it down at Richmond and I thought it would be really good to get a speaker along and I was very lucky I've got got a contact uh, through somebody else and I got Matthew Pinson to come along who is Olympic rower, run four gold medals. Mm-hmm. These were in the days when gold medals, we only won three or four in any Olympic Games, not the, the lottery-backed uh, medal fest that we have today. Mm. And um, I remember introducing him to the sales team, and most of them were under 30, which was quite an interesting experience in itself because none of them had heard of him. <laughs> so I had to explain what he'd done. And he, he told us a story which I really, really resonated with me about somebody who was an Olympian. And he, he, would, he would go to extraordinary lengths to get critical feedback on what he was doing. And when he finished, the story he told us was when he finished his, uh, the Olympic rowing that he was doing, he became a BBC presenter. Mm-hmm. He went along for his first uh, presentation gig on uh, BBC at the time. And he, he did a piece to camera. And as soon as he'd done that, he then went over to the producer and said to him, um, I need some feedback. What, did, what, did, what wasn't I doing? What feedback have you got for me? And the guy said, well, I wasn't really looking. You know, you're Olympian. I've seen you on TV. You, you, you're great. And he said, no, that's not good enough for me. I need you to tell me mm. what you can see and what I can do to improve. This guy was hardwired to get critical feedback. Yeah. And that... I think stood him in such good stead to be an exceptional athlete, but he took the same learning into the way I need to know more. I need to see what others can see that I can't see. Yeah. And and just what you were saying there about the, you know, what the producer was, was trying to say, you know, you're, you're fine. That, that, that's a compliment. That's not feedback. And that, that's, that's a fine balance, isn't it? In business where perhaps as managers and as leaders, we think we're giving feedback to the team, but actually perhaps we're just saying, well done. We're not giving them stuff that they can repeat and work with, you know, specifically what did they do that we liked and, and that they should do again? And, and what could they be doing better? Is that, is that something that you're, you, you see a lot of? It's a balance between helping people to see things that they can't see. I mean, I often will say to teams that I work with that your friends are a great supportive people around you, but your very, very best friend, your very best friend will tell you you've got bad breath and BO and you've got cabbage in your teeth. That's <laughs> your very best friend. And so why don't we try and be the very best friends with the people that are around us to help them improve? Mm. And that can only happen in a culture where you've actually got absolute trust and so, once again, I think it comes from the top. People who are running organisations that, 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 you know, they think that they have to demonstrate to everybody they know how to see everything. And the answer is they don't. They're often swimming and, and through fog and trying to work out, particularly in, in today's environment. Mm. And to actually tell people, you actually don't know all the answers and you've made some mistakes and there's things you need to get better at is, is, is very healthy. 
Yeah. And it's, you know, Patrick Mencioni in his uh, book talks about the sort of vulnerability based trust that you're describing there, which is, you know, the ability as a leader to be able to say, I don't know, I need help. I got that wrong. I'm sorry. And that then creates a culture. And I keep coming back to this word culture because for me it is. It's a culture of learning, a culture of vulnerability, a culture of trust, which which eliminates or, or does its best at eliminating that fear of failure, which I think is at the the centre of all of this uh, learning journey that we want our teams to be on. And that's not to fear failure, but to see it as an opportunity to to learn. Vince, I know, I know you've got some really great experience in learning from outcomes and, you know, particularly in agency days when you would work with a client to understand feedback and and criticism uh, post pitch whether the pitch was won or or lost uh, tell us a bit about that so as as my agency grew over time i i i was lucky enough to have a, a great team and i'd become much less client focused than i was at the very beginning of the organi- the birth of the organization and so it gave me quite a lot of time to stop and think and ponder about actually what we were doing and in, in, in the marketing world that we're doing, we, most of our new business came in through pitches. So we would normally be pitching creative work, campaigns that we'd be doing for clients, and often we'd be pitching against maybe three, maybe four other agencies. And so we would, invariably, we would win a lot, lose. And of course, if we won, it was great. Champagne corks were popping everywhere, and we went out and celebrated. And I, you know, I remember one instance where the, the turnover of the business doubled overnight by one win. That's how meteoric it was. And of course, when we we lost pitches, we sort of were all a bit sullen and the client had sort of disappeared into the ether and we were left there saying, well, you know, we still think they made a mistake. Mm. We still think the ideas we have were brilliant and we sort of moved away from it. And I was reflecting on that. And I was actually in a a, a Vistage meeting and one of the co-CEOs who run an IT business mentioned that an idea that I'd never come across is about win-loss reviews. And I thought, I'd never even thought of doing that. And so I asked a little bit about how they did them. And then I thought, this is a great idea. So I thought, well, why don't we do some win-loss reviews? So I um, started a program of, of doing them. And actually, because at this time, some of the businesses, I was not actually actively involved in the day-to-day running. The clients didn't know me at all so I was actually doing them myself and I found it such a rich uh, really valuable data that I used to bring back to the organization that um, people were coming to me and saying oh could you do a win-loss review you know people were coming to me because they wanted to know what was really going on inside the clients heads and when they they, they were they were operating and I've taken that in other business I've been involved I've done the same I mean, if you think about it, how dumb is it to run an organization where you're actually pitching on business? And if you win or lose, you don't really know why. Mm. And and I think part of it was also because I come from a marketing background, a lot of research as to what people are thinking was what we were doing as an agency before we pitched stuff. So this was just a piece of research. And I, I applied all the research methodologies that I had learned from the agent research agencies we work with. And so we we started to build these these win loss reviews, and it was it was quite it was a, it was a massive pivot point for us because we learned so many things that we just did not know. 
And and how would you position it with the client? How how would what would you sort of say to them to get them to buy into the process? So so no, normally what we would do is and, and most businesses when they're pitching on stuff they can't ask for any reward or any money for that pitch. It's normally done free gratis. So what I would normally say to them or get the team to say to them, look, we will pitch on this. We'll have a whole team of people working it. In, in, in our industry, it was tens of thousands of pounds worth of investment. So there's no cost at all to you for that investment. But what we ask in return for all our time is that you give us 30 minutes of your time in a win-loss review feedback session. And when we knew what the pitch was, we would then book that, and then let's book that in now. So it was in the diary even before we pitched. Mm. I don't, I don't actually remember ever an, a, a client saying they wouldn't do that. Um, but I, I think if they said they wouldn't, I'm not sure if we'd have pitched. Mm. It's a nice commitment swap, isn't it? Because pitches and proposals and quotes, they take a long time to pull together. Then, So there's resource that needs to go into it. And why why should we go about that unless there was some sort of commitment in return? If you can't guarantee commitment to closing the business, then guaranteeing commitment of 30 minutes of feedback surely is a fair, a fair swap. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think, and I think the other part of this, which is really, really important, is this about how you go about actually doing a win-loss review. Mm. And, and my personal belief is that if you, if the team who pitched on it go in and do it, you'll never get the full. You know, it's a bit like the boyfriend girlfriend type thing. It's not <laughs> me, it's you. You know, it's, yeah. it's you know, it's that type of people. Why would people that you don't really know that well give you really critical feedback? Mm. they're much more likely to do it to a third party that they don't know. Mm. And so invariably, we never let the team that were pitched on it be involved, apart from briefing the person doing the win-loss review. So I would, if I would go to a team that pitched on it and I would ask them, what do you want to know? What do you think I'm going to, I'm going to give you feedback on? How did the pitch go in in the room who was in the room who did you have chemistry what do you think they're, they're going to say mm. and invariably they missed they didn't have all of the um the facts of what was going on behind the scenes and and that was quite revelatory you know they, they, so they were really um I, I you know i mind a lot out of the team before uh, we would go in mm. uh, invariably i would call the client or clients because sometimes i would if i'm booking a, a feedback session let's say there's three people in the room i may do three separate ones yeah individually rather than a group because you tend to get the loudest person talking most mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you don't get the full flavor of actually what's going on mm-hmm. but i would invariably call them before that maybe a week or so before before and just explain what we were why, what, why we do these and what the purpose is and that I'm not involved in the day-to-day running of it. So, And I would often say to them, if there's feedback you want to give me, which you would be uncomfortable being put against your name, then please give it to me, and I will put that into some general feedback when I do a number of these over a period of time. I may do a summary at the end of the year, and here's the feedback that I wasn't attributed to any particular client. Yeah. So they, they, they feel that they could be brutally honest. Mm. Uh, with us and also by phoning them beforehand it made them stop and think about what they really wanted to give feedback on Mm. so that was really helpful the other bit was that when i 
conducted myself, I tended to process of where I would, based on what the account team had told me, and of actually really understanding where the business sat in their psyche, what was our reputation. So I would, I would start a journey with them. Before you asked us to pitch on this, tell me about the agencies or the businesses that you knew of in this field and what you know about them. And what did you know about us? And where did, why, where, why were we included on this uh, pitch? Um, were we the wild card? Were we the favourite? How many people did you ask to pitch? I, mean, I remember one before I asked the team, how many people pitched on this? So it was only service. Spoke to the client, it was five. Where did we come <laughs> Well, we came second. You didn't, you came fifth. Mm. And so really understanding the context of, of, of what's, what's going on. And then really starting to drill into what happened in the pitch. Uh, I, I remember one in particular that we did. It was for a very large financial institution. And we, in the marketing game, one of the things that we pride ourselves on having fantastic planners, people who are really good at understanding consumers. And on this particular pitch, I knew we had used a planner who I just thought was exceptional. And I thought of all the touch points, this planner would have blown them away. And in the um, uh, win-loss review, the, the one that came top, the, person, the, the standout thing that they took from it was the planner in the other agency was better than ours. Right. So I found out who the person was, and then I, I then stalked them for the next two or three years to come and work for me. <laughs> and they did eventually? Yeah, they did, yeah. And they were exceptional. And so you can learn. I've set businesses up by actually asking clients who they thought was good in other agencies mm. and then approach them to set an agency up because they were that good. So actually there's such rich feedback that comes back from an organization. And there's a theme here about you know the pursuit of the truth because the truth as we see it may not be the only version of that truth. It's our version of the truth and, and it may not even be the whole truth truth and i think you know one of the questions that i tend to ask people when they say you know i'll use your example of of the the, the guy that said you know there were there were only two others uh, that we were up against and indeed there were actually five you know when he says there were only two others we're up against the question is is that true the answer typically then is yes the follow up question is how can you 100% know that that's true so it's Digging a little deeper, right? I think it, it, actually, funny enough, a lot of the techniques for win-loss reviews are exactly the same as in interviewing. Uh, interviewing is an interrogation of what really, really went on mm. in in for a, in in their previous job. In this instance, it's a real interrogation of what was really going on in the dynamics of of what was happening. And so, you know, if you, from my experience, if you go out and ask a whole, you get. You know, if, if we could fill Wembley Stadium full of salespeople and we said, Let's, tell us why you don't win business, a huge number, over 50% and probably more, will we'll blame it on price. Yeah. Is the, oh, we're just too expensive. Mm -hmm. And I remember we, I remember having a sort of a Cranfield um, a business school and there was a professor there. I, his name escapes me now, but they did a piece of research on why people didn't buy. And what the, the key to service was. And only their research said that only 10% of people only buy on price. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when I've been on a win-loss review with somebody and, I, and they say, oh, well, you were too expensive, 
I would then say, ah, okay, that's interesting. So I'd say, well, how much more expensive were they? Say, well, you know, you were five, 10, 15, whatever it was, percent. You know. And I said, had we been the same price, would you have chosen us? <laughs> and then you can often feel a pause. And I said, right. So you pause then. So there was other stuff. So let's just talk about the others. If our price had been the same, let's talk about the other stuff that's going on. Yeah. And I've certainly had very open conversation with people, and they have revealed to me that the price was better than ours because they went back to the company and said, if you can beat this price, you've got the business. Mm. And of course, many salespeople who've got great relationships with people who have had exactly the same. And so there's much more that sits outside of price mm. if you if you you go digging. And so it's 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 actually having the ability to ask those sort of questions. And, and um, you know, we're, we're focusing we're focusing a little bit, I guess, on on the losses here because there's so much learning to be to be had from from those that we lose. And of course, I'm putting myself in the shoes. Let's say uh, of you running one of these win loss reviews, customer is telling us all the reason why we didn't win the business, why they chose to put it elsewhere. And I'm thinking, do I have an opportunity to turn it around? Is this an objection handling situation? Can I can I can I maybe claw back the business by responding? And that isn't the way of running these meetings. You know, this is a feedback meeting rather than a response meeting. Is that your experience too? Yes, yes, it is. And I think, I mean, I've certainly been in presentate. I've been in pitch win loss reviews where the agency that I was representing had lost the business, and by careful questioning, the client was then re-questioning whether they'd made the right decision, which is which is an interesting. Um, and I think in some respects, if you leave them with that doubt that they may have made a mistake, mm. that's probably the best you could possibly do. It certainly leaves you to fight another day. And if you feed back to the team that I think they were wobbling here slightly, I mean, it's not unknown for businesses who've lost, business, lost a client or lost business to go back to them two or three months later and find that they actually can be re-scooped back in again. Mm. And so uh, for such for sure, uh, I've come across that. But I think the other the other point to this also, David, is that um, I do this actually when we win, and that's really interesting because mm. we all thought that it was because we did that that we won, but actually it was something else that actually we had not really taken into account. Mm. And so another ones where we you know we won it, we we beaten off some really big agencies, and we think we're great. And when you get into the win loss review, you realise that you won it by the skin of your teeth. Mm. I remember a pitch that we did for a very big pub group and we were actually the incumbent. So we had um, pitched on this piece of business. I think we came, I think the business came up with some creative work they thought was brilliant. And of course we'd won the, um, the, the business back again. And we all thought this was great because we had fantastic creative work. And, and what it turns out to is that one of the senior members of the team the guy that was running the pitch, his boss had got a call from somebody inside the agency at a very senior level and, 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 and basically had it. We've been working with you for five years. We're a safe pair of hands. Are you sure you want to throw that all down the pan for? And it was actually the boss that intervened and stopped that pitch from going left of field. Mm. And so that was really useful to know that the person that had appointed the agency had not actually appointed them. Sure. They'd been forced into doing it from above. And that actually was really valuable. 
because even even with a win, there are some vulnerabilities that you can identify that can that can support you in mitigating those risks with another pitch. Um, and and I do think that it's, it's about being specific, isn't it? You know, a win on its own is not good enough. A win with feedback that you can replicate, a win with feedback about where potentially you were weak that yeah. you can then fix going forward. That that's a win in itself. The feedback is is a win. Well, here's here's. Here's a bit of information that I, I gleaned, which in, after doing it over for a period of years, I worked out that actually of all the pitches that we did, about 25% of them ended in no work being awarded to anybody. And a, 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 a quite a big slice, another 20, 25%, where we were pitching against an incumbent, um, I worked that, that some of them you were never going to win because this was actually um, an opportunity of trying to drive down the price of somebody they were relatively yeah. happy with. Yeah, which is quite so common. It, it changed our perception. So our win-loss review, our wins ratio went up by pitching less. Um, so I give you, I give you an example. One of um, one of the things we learned from it was that if we didn't understand the problem we were fixing and the client couldn't articulate it, then we didn't pitch. And I, one of my agencies probably was. A, about 5 million turnover at the time. And we had a very, very large retailer come and knock on our door. And the pitch was for 4 million quids worth of business. And everybody was like rubbing their hands and thinking this is fantastic. And we had a sort of briefing, a briefing from the client. And one of the things we always said was that we would always be briefed by clients. We'll go to their office and they brief us face to face. And this client wouldn't do this, which suddenly put alarm bells up. Uh, for me. And when they were briefing us over the telephone call, they went through the whole briefing session and it was all all great. And then at the end of that, there was questions in there and I sat there listening. I didn't really say much. And then towards the end of this uh, questioning session, I asked the question, I said, could you tell me what the biggest problem is that we're trying to fix that, you're, that you've got? And the person said, well, we don't have a problem. And I said, could you explain to me a bit more about that? He said, well, we've got a contract with our existing supplier agency. And at the end of five years, we have to renew it. So we're going back out to repitch the business. So I said, let's be clear. You haven't got any particular issues with what they're doing. You're, this is about recosting it and re-looking at it. And, and, and that. I said, yeah, broadly speaking, that's about right. And I was on the call with about six other people who were salivating at the idea of another four million quids worth of business. And, I, and I, I made the decision there and then I said, I, I, I have to stop you there. I said, I just let you know that we won't be pitching. And this, this lady on the other end was absolutely flabbergasted. And I said, mm. if, we, if you haven't got a problem we're trying to fix, we are wasting our time. Mm. Because really this, this will end up with the incumbent in my view. And so we, are, we, we will spend probably 30 grand pitching on this business and I don't think we can win it. Yeah. And um, if there's not a problem. Um, one of my friends who ran another competitive agency pitched, and he was one, I've worked out later, he was one of 15 agencies that pitched. He got down to the last three, took them three months to get there, and then they reappointed the incumbent. So it was a real good lesson. Yeah. To, and it's actually quite liberating in a way, actually refusing pitches. Sometimes, sometimes you can't win clients. And the, uh, I suppose the optimistic 
salesperson would be would be thinking, yeah, but you've got to be in it to win it. And I guess what we're saying there is, um, well, if there's no game being played, then being in it is simply spectating. But if you're if you're spectating and having to put a whole load of effort in in order to do that, then the ticket price is way too high. And and like you say, it's liberating not to join in. If if you if you lose slowly, you slowly bleed to death. Yeah. Because you're using all your resources. One of the key things about particularly new business is actually the time of the salesperson and what they're focused on. Mm. So ironically, to clear your desk of load of stuff to qualify prospects out is, is an important part of a salesperson's job. Yeah. Is to say that this is not really going to go anywhere with a wrong with a, with a, with a wrong fit. Yeah. This particular client, very mature businesses, uh, and you can still be mature and yeah, and small, make those sort of decisions. I, I, I'll give you one story. I have one one of my businesses. One of the sales guys picked up a contract, and it would have been the it was a whale. It was enormous, and he was pitching against businesses that were not ten times the size of us, hundreds, if not thousands of times bigger. Global entities we were pitching against. And by some quirk of luck, he got in on this pitch. And he, I spoke to him about it, and I, and I said, look, it, 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 you're metaphorically, there's, there's, as you get into the pitch, I'll ask loads more questions, and suddenly we'll come up really short. We won't have this, we won't have that, we won't have whatever you need. And in your naivety, you don't know that that's what's going to happen next. But in my experience, it is. And I said, so metaphorically, what I see is, is, is somebody running down the M1, a dog barking at a lorry, trying to stop it by trying to bite its wheels. You're never going to get, it's never going to stop for you. But I, what I did say to him, I said, but, but if you think you can get it, go for it. And But if you don't get it, then just go back and reflect. So I never stopped him from doing it. And he very quickly got bleached out of the system. And I said, well, there's a bit of learning for you. You know, you, you, you still carried on. I give you credit for your tenacity, not giving up. But businesses get the clients they deserve. And some of them, you've got to actually decide which ones you can win and which ones you can't. Mm. And, you know, I, you see, I use analogies. But when you're a, a small uh, three or four-year-old, if you play football, you could see them, there's a ball there and everybody hovers around it like a, a buzz of bees because they're all after it. And, and businesses do the same sometimes. They all hover around any businesses worth having. And when you become more mature, you go to five-a-side and 11-a-side football, you decide what zones you can win in. So you don't want a defender up trying to score a goal, and you don't really want your goalie up there trying to score a goal either, and vice versa. You don't want your striker trying to save in the penalty area. So you, you want people to win where they can win. And if you, you can carve out a place which is a good place to be, where you can add real value to your clients, you're going to win more business. There, there tends to be an awful lot of focus around this qualifying the right prospects, qualifying the right customers, but actually it's about disqualifying the wrong ones. And that being not only liberating, but in, but but, but it's, it's, it's a smart way of working. You are much more laser focused on the ones that you've got the, you know, the intention and and the opportunity to, to, to win. It's time for the CamCast Killer Question. When, when I think about this learning culture that we want to create within sales and account teams, of course, one of the, the, the biggest superpowers in learning is the reflective question. 
And, you know, those questions that really get us thinking and looking inwardly at the and looking for the truth, not the veneered version of the truth. Our killer question segment on the show, Vince, gives you a chance as our guest to ask our listeners a killer question to get them reflecting about this topic and something that perhaps they would want to then take away as as an action, something to do. Vince, what would your killer question for our CamCast listeners be? Um, the question I would ask everybody is that, can you read anybody's mind? Because mm. um, I can't. And I think a lot of people actually superimpose onto other people what they think they think yeah. invariably it's wrong mm. and if mm. only you knew what they really thought you'd be able to do something about it mm. so you can't read can you read other people's minds and I would, I would agree with you. And uh, of course, actually, you know, think about opinions and perceptions and feelings. There's one person's in the whole mix that matter the most, and that's the customer. Because actually, what what they think, what they say, what they feel is going to determine whether that win loss review is a win review, win review or a loss review, right? So, uh, so I, I, I like that. We don't want to be reading their minds. We want to be actually asking them the questions to find out what they really, what they really think, and searching for that, for that truth. Camcast, key account management made easy. This is a really rich topic. We could we could talk for for quite a while about this, but I feel like we've got some really great examples of successfully implementing a learning culture, one where fear of failure is not at the forefront. So so we're actually looking for the feedback even when things don't go our way. If you were giving, I suppose, a couple of, of, of quick fix top tips to our listeners today to go about implementing this new culture in their business, what would your top tips be? I think if, 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 you, if you're trying to bring a learning culture, I, I, I think I said before, starts at the top. So if the person at the top is actually is still a student, still learning, I think that's a great place to do. I think a lot of people can learn if they could see what they were doing. So a, a good example of that was we, we, were, we were training a lot of junior people, but it works for senior people as well, by doing presentation training, how they pitch. So we videotape it. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, in today's world, particularly if we're doing pitches on Zoom, you can record it. And, and then the question, when we, do, when we were doing presentation skills, what we did is we, we played back to them their presentation. Then we asked them to go away and create a presentation about what they'd learned about the presentation. Mm. And we wrote down all the bits we thought that they that they could improve. And when they came back, I would I would think most of them, probably nine out of ten people, had actually identified exactly, exactly what they needed to do. And I and I'll give you another example of that. We would sometimes record telephone calls. Yeah. As part of it. And one of the sales guys who was struggling at the time, he, uh, we got him to pull three or four phone calls that he thought that he was near to, but never quite got into a meeting. And so he, he, he played these back. And the question I asked him, I said, if you, as you're listening to them, I want you, we'll do it again. I want you to make notes about what you think you, you missed and what you could have done differently. And he sat down, he got it. He actually got it exactly. And here was the great thing. He left that room and he went back out. And of the three calls he did, he went and booked meetings with two of them straight on the back of that. So I think learning culture is about actually letting people see what they can't see. Yeah. Yeah. I think is important. The other one is actually to have open sessions. So sometimes, particularly in sales meetings, is to say, 
at the end of a sales meeting, I've got a thorny little problem with this client. This is the background. And you actually get everybody asking them questions, not solutions. And then and they can ask them loads of questions about what we're getting. And, and then when they finish that, then they give them some, some possible solutions that come through it. Mm. That's a very, very rich way of actually doing that. Once again, great if the person at the top can do it first, yeah. dealing with a thorny issue or problem. But what happens in those instances is that people go, oh, actually, do you know what? I've got that problem too. Sure. And those open sessions, you know, you're, you're describing, I guess, that there's something that the Vistage community and the peer group community are great at, those open sessions. If any of our listeners want to find out more about that, more about Vistage, more about peer group culture and, and how they can get involved, is there is there a way they can do that, Vince? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you, if you Google uh, Vistage or Google me, you'll find me there somewhere in the Ethernet. Email me and if you're, depending on where you are, what type of industry, and I'm very happy to talk to anybody who uh, might have an interest or a curiosity about what it's all about. And depending on location, there may be other people out there, chairs that um, if I'm not appropriate or my group is not quite right for them in, in that conversation. So yeah, uh, please reach out to us. Excellent. And curiosity is key there. And, I, and I, I love that word. It's featured a lot in our conversation today. Being more curious, looking for the feedback, owning that feedback and actually making positive change is really, I suppose, at the heart of creating that learning culture. Um, Vince, thank you so much for, for sharing your experiences and sharing your stories with us today. It's been great to have you as a guest here on Camcast. Thanks for having me along. Thank you very much. The reality is you cannot win everything. Losing is part and parcel of the world of account management. So with that being the case, how good are you and your team at learning from the feedback along the way? Curiosity starts at the top of an organization and we want to be recruiting people in our teams that are sponges, not stones. Team members who are consistently and constantly looking for constructive criticism. Understanding what went well and what would be even better if could be the difference between static performance in the comfort zone and developing performance and growing relationships and revenue. Critical feedback should be hardwired into a CAM culture. Of course, that requires trust and vulnerability. To lead from a position of trust means not pretending to know everything, being comfortable saying, I don't know, I got that wrong. I'm sorry, this level of vulnerability will induce an attitude towards failure that embraces it in pursuit of learning and feedback, ultimately eliminating the very fear of failure that lives within many of our teams. I loved Vince's suggestion of asking the client to commit to feedback in return for the pitch or the proposal. Perhaps you'll be reflecting on who does these review sessions. Is it the account manager or are they simply too close? Is it leadership activity or even a neutral third-party consultant? So, what can you do to implement in your business this week to close the gap between what you know and what you need to know? Vince's top tips included creating a learning culture from the top so that as leaders, we need to be always the student. Letting people see what they can't see, creating ways for your team to be able to view or listen to their client-facing activity so that they can analyse their own performance. And having open sessions within the team. Your peers can often be your best coaches and guides, so give them the opportunity to listen, to question, to challenge and to advise on what they would do if they were in your shoes. 
So that's it for today's episode of Camcast. Don't forget to check out the show notes at camguru.com forward slash podcast and join us again for the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of Camcast, a podcast brought to you by camguru.com, one of the UK's leading key account management consulting and training organizations. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate you sharing it with your connections, giving us a review on your chosen podcast app and letting us know what else you'd like to hear in an upcoming episode. You can find the show notes for this episode on the website at camguru.com forward slash podcast.